Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday evening chapel. How are you? Tired? Okay, well, at least someone's honest. How are you? Good, just checking. Uh, before we begin, a uh, public service announcement. There's someone who is driving a dark-colored Pontiac. They've left their dome light on. Um, we want you to be here for the evening, but not all evening. So, so if while we're singing, uh, you want to go and check your car, uh, you're welcome to do that. How many people were here last night? Let's see, show of hands. Good. So you know that Dr. Stephen Manley is the speaker of the hour, right? Okay. Those of you who weren't here probably know that too, otherwise you wouldn't be here. There's been a change of plans. It's called Hurricane Rita. Uh, Hurricane Rita is headed toward Houston, Galveston, Texas. Everybody know? Uh, what you don't know is that Dr. Manley's wife is in Houston, in a fifth wheel. So uh, he needs to go. So after this evening service, uh, well, actually not after this evening service, but first thing tomorrow morning, he's headed to Houston to help her and him get out of town before the storm comes. So there won't be any service tomorrow evening. I want to make sure that you, that you catch that. But he's here, and willing to minister to us. All in favor say aye. aye. All opposed the same sign, no motion carries. <laughs> not words, Jesus, not just words, but all oh, cry of our heart. Everything that blockades that kind of intimacy with you, remove it from us. We just remove it from me, just whatever. Hey, everything's up for grabs. I want you to just embrace me. And everything that hinders that, every attitude, everything you want to put your finger on, it's yes, oh yes, yes, have your way. Embrace us in this moment together, in this corporate setting. We pray thee in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for the opportunity of being here, and I apologize about tomorrow night. Uh, my wife's not a bit sorry, but I am a little sorry. But uh, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, uh, down through verse 26. Not going to take time to read, but uh, we read it last night, and uh, you'll remember that the crucifixion, resurrection has taken place, and the ascension has also happened at this point. Jesus, in a 40-day resurrection appearance, had gathered with his disciples, and in that resurrection appearance uh, had convinced them. He called it infallible proofs, uh, the 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, the last day, they didn't know that. Uh, he gathered them together, began to talk about the promise of the Father. He said, this is not new to you. I've talked to you about this a lot of times before. And he began to explain it in terms of the baptism of John over against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of John, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of John, you get all wet. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are empowered. Baptism of John, ceremonial. Even got a certificate. Put it on the wall. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, life practical spill out. Oh, the fullness of the Spirit. And he began to contrast that. He began to talk about the promise of the Father. He began to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he moved into talking about being sourced by God. You're no longer going to live out of yourself. You're going to live out of Him. 
It's not going to be you doing your best. It's going to be he's doing his best through you. You're going to live like you can't live and be what you can't be and act like you can't act and love like you can't love and say, whoa, how am I doing this? And all the time knowing, hey, he is taking you to a plane of his own powerful living that's way beyond your discipline, your capacity, your knowledge. It's him and him alone, fullness of the Spirit. When he got done talking about that, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, was going to gather up the promise of the Father and spill it all over them in chapter 2. He told them to wait. It was a seven to ten day period. They're waiting in Jerusalem, not lazy boy recliner kind of waiting, but anticipating, sitting on the edge of the seat. Wow. You do know that you can always tell when you're in the church of the Nazarene. Oh, yeah. Because the edge of the front seats are always, of the seats are always worn off. Because we're all... Never mind. Okay, so they were anticipating, longing. They were down in the temple in the faces of the leaders of Israel saying, we win, you lose. And they were anticipating the outpouring of the Spirit, not totally knowing what it was going to be like, but realizing it was what Jesus had and they wanted it too. It was going to be great and they were trusting him for it. During that time, saturating in prayer and the Scriptures, they came to the conclusion, Peter leading the way, that, hey, they really needed to tie up this loose end of Judas. Not that they could do anything about Judas. He's dead and gone. But this apostleship, this, this position that he's left behind, it needs to be filled. So they called a business meeting, first recorded business meeting of the early church, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And he said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, the genius of verse 16 is it's an association of ideas in a certain order. And each, each, the order has to do with priority. He starts out with the major statement that he wants us to have. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. Under the umbrella of that overwhelming proposition, the big idea, hey, this is the main theme. This is the thing I really want you to get. This is what I'm really trying to tell you. This is in bright lights. This is capital letters. Everything else is subordinate to this. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. In sermon construction, we call it a proposition. It's the whole sermon reduced down to one simple statement. And most people, we should give the one statement and shut up. But we never do that. So here's the one big deal. Here's the one big deal. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. Subordinate to that is Holy Spirit spoke before. Subordinate to that, by the mouth of David. Subordinate to that, oh, concerning Judas. Scripture had to be fulfilled. Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Structure of the verse. Let's start at the beginning. Scriptures had to be fulfilled. Oh, the key to the whole thing is in the verb, had to be. Often it's translated must in the New Testament. Once in a while it's translated ought. It's used five different ways, five different tones of it in the New Testament. But when you wrap them all up together, it has this major idea of divine decree. It has the idea of the sovereign hand of an almighty God has literally dipped into this. And this is what I'm telling you, that what I'm telling you about is as sure as the hand of God himself. The scriptures must have had to be backed up by divine decree be fulfilled. Well, what happened to you if I could convince you I got in my hands a document that's absolutely the way things are. It's the way it's going down. 
It's the way it's destined. It has the fiber of the universe literally written into it. And there's no way it cannot be. Well, what happened if I could convince you? I've got in my hands a document that every concept, every precept, every principle is exactly the way the kingdom of God and the eternal forces are formed and shaped. And it bridges all gaps. It goes across, across all generational gaps. It's not ancient. It's not out of date. It's up to date. When you touch it, whoops, some ink smears, man. This hits you in the face. This is as constant as the morning newspaper. Right here it is, man. What would happen if I could convince you? I got in my hands a document that's absolutely stark reality. And if you have any desire to put your home together, if you have any desire for successful ministry, if you have any desire to base your life, know to what to base your life on, man, you got it in your hands, boy. You got it in your hands. If I could convince you of that, brother, what would happen? Whoa, you'd never put the thing down, would you? I mean, you would devour its pages. I mean, you'd eat this thing night and day. I mean, you'd tear its pages up and put it in a blender in the morning and drink it for breakfast. I mean, you'd get into this, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd feel you're mindful of it. You'd memorize it, every question you had. You'd stick your nose in this book, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd listen to this before you'd listen to Dr. Phil. I mean, this would be your reference point, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? The scriptures had to be fulfilled. Now, I'd like to just take you one other place where this word must shows up to give you a feel of how strong this really is. And I'd like for you to stick with Luke's writing, so let's go with Luke chapter 24. You know this scene well. Of course, it's the Emmaus Road scene. The resurrected Christ has showed up. Uh, and according to verse 13, there's two, these, these two men. They're on their way to this village, the uh, village of Emmaus. And they're on this, it's seven miles from Jerusalem, so they're on their way. While they're, do, while they're going, they're doing the typical thing. Verse 14, they're talking together. What would they be talking about? The events, of course, that have just happened to them, which is all about their disappointment in the death of Jesus Christ. While they're talking, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, shows up. Can you imagine it? Jesus, the resurrected Lord, actually shows up, and they don't have a clue. Been there, done that, man. In fact, verse 16 says, Their eyes were restrained, and they did not know him. And Jesus turned to them and said, What on earth are you guys talking about? And they said, Oh, forevermore, verse 18. Are you the only one in town? Haven't you watched the CNN? Don't you watch Fox News? Are you the only one that don't, doesn't know what's been happening? Well, what has been happening? What things are you talking about? Verse 9, he asked them. And they began to explain to him, Well, this Jesus Christ, prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. We thought he was going to be the one to really pull this off, but... Verse 20, the leaders of Israel delivered him to death, and hey, they crucified him. And he's not going to redeem anything, and he's not going to bring it to pass. And oh yeah, verse 22, there's some flaky women, you know, nervous breakdown type, off the wall kind. They saw all oh, angels, tomb's empty. We think he's gone. You think he's raised from the dead. But hey, we went to the tomb. It was empty. But hey, we didn't see any angels. Jesus takes over the conversation. Look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. Verse 25. Then he said to them, oh Foolish ones. I've heard that before. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Here it comes, here it comes. Ought, same identical Greek word in Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Ought, 
must had to be dot divine decree backed up by the sovereign hand of an almighty god ought not the christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory and beginning at moses and all the prophets the resurrected lord expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself don't you think it's interesting that the resurrected jesus based his entire based his entire life experience upon the scriptures now, folks, this is the resurrected Lord. This is the one who's crossed on the other side. This is the one who has the eternal mind. This is the one who's conquered hell and death. This is the one who split the grave wide open. This is the one who has the resurrected flesh. This is the one who's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and sit at that right hand. And is going to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords in the kingdom. And you know what he said? My whole life is based upon the authority of the Scriptures. Now, you may not believe that, but hey, you have to admit he believed that, and he's the resurrected Lord, and he probably had a better perception of this than you do. In fact, they've drawn close to the village by this time. He turns to them and says, hey, uh, they turn to him and say, hey, will you eat with us? He says, sure. He sits down, eats a hot dog, disappears. Hot dogs will do that to you. And so he's gone. Now, they realize, their eyes are open at that point, they realize he's the resurrected Lord. So they want, they want to tell everybody. They run the seven miles back to Jerusalem. When they get in the upper room, whoa, he shows up again. And they're scared to death. The other disciples thinking that he's a ghost, verse 37. He says, not so, verse 39. Hands and feet, guys, hey, handle me. See, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. By the way, you got any more hot dogs? I'm still hungry. So eat another hot dog. Then, verse 44, look at this, look at this. Verse 44, he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must, there it is again, same as in Acts chapter 1, verse 16, all things must be fulfilled, divine decree, backed up by the sovereign hand of an almighty God. All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. lady came up to me after service said you know what I'm learning in school she said I'm learning you can't really trust the Bible oh except the words of Jesus red letters maybe hey but hey all that other stuff Old Testament stuff hey come on I mean five books of Mo Moses the first five books I mean hey all about creation was he there no so hey how did he write all that stuff I mean a lot of paganism written into that come on stories hey Isaiah one author two author would you go for three a compilation who knows really after all oh Jonah by the whale can't trust all that stuff. The only thing you can really count on in the scriptures is the words of Jesus. I said, I have no problem with that at all. I'll buy that. Thank you. Man, that's really encouraging. Because you know what Jesus said? Look at this. Look at this, what he said here. Verse 44 again. All things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, which just about covers it, it seems to me. In fact, he says it's backed up by the sovereign hand of an almighty God. And if you want one Isaiah writer, if you want two, if you want three, go for four. I don't care. But hey, he says, Jesus, his perspective, resurrected Lord man on the other side, which probably is better eyesight than yours. He said, hey, I'm basing my whole life on the scriptures, and it's backed up by the sovereign hand of an almighty God. Must. Now take that concept and bring it right into Acts chapter 1, verse 16. 
Peter stands up, says, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. By the way, he's going to quote two Psalms in verse 20. This scripture had to be. It's backed up. There was no way this could not be. It, it was backed up by the sovereign hand of an almighty God. He's talking about Judas. Oh, my. Poor Judas. Didn't have a chance, did he? It was in the scriptures. Oh. No choice, right? How could he have a choice? It said it in the scriptures. So Judas, poor boy, destined to betray Jesus. Oh, that's awful. That's not what he's saying. See, it's not true because it's in the scriptures. Think about this. It's not true because it's in the scriptures. It's not true because it's in the scriptures. Are you getting it? It's not true because it's in the scriptures. It's in the scriptures because it's true. And if you come and say, well... What if Judas hadn't have? What if Judas would have foiled the whole plan and Judas wouldn't have betrayed Jesus and suppose it had been Peter? He'd have been the, he'd have been the one. Kiss of betrayal, Peter, Peter. Well, duh, the omniscient God would have written about Peter. I mean, is that hard? And Peter stood up and, hey, you may not believe this, but you've got to admit that Peter obviously believed this and the early church believed this and obviously Jesus believed it, that, hey, the Scriptures is backed up by the sovereign hand of an almighty God and there is absolutely no way. What would happen if I could convince you I got in my hands a document that's absolutely the way it's going down? If you have any desire, if you have any desire to know truth at all, that every precept, every concept, every idea, every principle found in this book is exactly the way it is. And if you want to know the right, the wrong, the moral, the immoral, if you want to know how it's all shaped, if you want to know the pulse beat of the reality of truth, man, hey, here, if you want to know how to put your home together, brother, here, right here, right here, here is the, here's the way it's written out. This is, it spans all time. It goes across all cultures, man. This is not about a cultural deal. This is about the reality of the way God has stamped the truth into the universe itself. Right here it is, man. If I could convince you of that, oh, you'd never put this thing down, would you? I mean, you would devour it night and day, would you not? This would be your constant companion, wouldn't it? This would be your reference point. Every question you had in your mind about anything, you'd jam your nose into this book. Your teenager, man, hey, your teenager, you'd be more interested in your teenager knowing this book than making A's in mathematics. You'd never bring your teenager to church with with workbooks from school to fill out man you'd bring him to church with your bible in his hand wouldn't you every question he ever had you'd jam his nose into this book you'd sleep with this thing wouldn't you you'd live with it it'd be your constant reference point night and day if i could convince you the scriptures must be fulfilled Ah, oh, preacher, you really believe that? Yeah. How can you believe that? Oh, the scriptures must be fulfilled. Holy Spirit spoke. God spoke it. Now, you may not believe that, but obviously you've got to say Peter believed that. And the early church bought into that. In fact, he's going to quote two psalms and he says, hey, spoken by God. Just got back from Egypt, archaeological diggings. Great experience. We found a CD 
3,000 years old. Actual recording of God's voice. Oh, when you want to buy one, I'll give $100. I'll give five. Oh, let me have a copy of that thing. Recording of the voice. Lots of great people have written a lot of great stuff. Shakespeare, an example. I had to read some of it in school. Yeah, somebody stands up and says, I read this play by Shakespeare, and here's what he meant by that. It was a satire on his cultural generation, and here's what he was really saying. Somebody else stands up and says, oh, that's not so. Hey, here's what Shakespeare really meant when he wrote that day. Well, somebody else stands up and says, you guys are all off. Hey, here's what Shakespeare really meant. This is the real meaning of what he was trying to do, and everybody has a different opinion. Well, how are we going to settle this? How are we really going to know what Shakespeare meant? Well, that's easy. Let's ask Shakespeare. You can't. He's dead. Somebody stands up and says, hey, I read this scripture. Here's what it means. Somebody else stands, up, else stands up and says, well, I read the same scripture and it means this. Somebody says, well, it means this. They say it means that. They say it means the other. Everybody's got a different opinion. How are we going to settle this? Ask the author. Don't you dare go out of here tonight and say, oh, man, you really got an honest heavy about reading the Bible. I'm going to start a read the Bible through in a year plan. I'm going to start paying attention in my Bible courses. That's not what this is about. This is about not, not about reading the Bible through in a year. You know what this is all about? If you go out of here and say, I really got on you heavy about reading the Bible, I'm going to come and get you. Because that's not what the, you've missed the whole thing. That's not what this is all about. You know what this is all about? This is about him. This is not about an academic study of a book. This is not about a reading. A chapter a day keeps the devil away. That's not what this is about, folks. You know what this is about? This is about him. See, I want to get into him. Man, I want him to get into me. I want to know what he's got, what he's got to say. I want to know how he thinks. I want to know the mind process of the divine God. I want to know what he feels. I want to know what he's into. I want to know what I ought to get mad about. I want to be sensitive to the very movement of his being. How am I going to find out the inner heart of the almighty God? I'm going to listen to him. See, I believe that there's the living word and there's the written word. And I believe that there's an interaction between the living word and the written word. And the only reason this makes any sense at all is because the living word is literally pouring himself into the written word. And he brings this into a living organism. And this is not just black ink on white paper. This is the actual lips of Jesus parting. And he's speaking to me. What would happen for you in your morning devotions, man, if you came to this thing and said, whoa, Jesus is actually going to talk. Do you know how often it says this in the scriptures? It is absolutely all over the place in the scripture. Oh, the book of Hebrews is full of it. I've got time, but you don't. So let's just stick with the book of Acts. In fact, go to chapter 4. By this time, they've had, the Pentecost has happened. Hey, the gate beautiful, the uh, miracle that took place, you remember it. The guy was lame. Yeah, he was there, and he was begging money off of the preachers, which is always a dumb thing to do, because they pulled the old preacher trick, we're broke. Uh, but what we do have, we'll give to you. Grabbed a hold of him by the hand, yanked him to his feet. He's running around the chapel, you know, and hey, causing quite a stir. Peter uses the opportunity to preach a sermon, and 5,000 men get saved. Well, the leaders of Israel definitely got bent out of shape about that. 
This thing is getting out of hand. 3,000 yesterday, 5,000 today. Oh, brother. That's 5,000 men. Put women and children. You got 20,000 people. What on earth is happening? We got to stop this. They grabbed a hold of the apostles. They put him in jail. It was evening. They didn't want to miss Survivor. So they put him in jail that night. They came back the next morning, grabbed him out, man, put him up before the council, put a microphone in Peter's hand, said, hey, we want to know. We want to know. We want to know by what name and by what power you do this. Peter began to preach a sermon. Never give a microphone to a preacher. Peter began to preach a sermon, man, filled with the Spirit again. Just absolutely cut them to the bone. When the whole thing was over, they were amazed and threatened him and said, don't you talk about Jesus one more time or you're dead. We'll kill the whole lot of you. And threatened him. They went back to the early church. Can you see them? When verse 23 of chapter 4, when they went back to the early church, they said, oh, they're going to kill us all. Oh, we're all dead. Hey, we're not going to survive this. And you know what the early church did? Oh, look at verse 24. And when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that are in them. Isn't that a response? You've been threatened to the inch of your life. And you know how you respond? Oh, Lord, you are God. Hey, you mash your thumb, and what do you do? Oh, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that are in them. Look at this, look at this. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and then they quote the Psalms again. You may not believe it, but evidently they believed. The early church, this is over 20,000 people, they believed spoken by God. Let me give you one more. Turn to chapter 28, last, book of, uh, last chapter of Acts. Paul, the shipwreck, all that stuff, you know. Hey, they're in Rome now. He's made it to Rome. He's under house arrest. And was his custom, he called all the Jews in, and it was a whole day. And in verse 23, they appointed him a day, and he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. This is chapter 28 of Acts, verse 23. And he solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things that were spoken, and some disbelieved. He split the crowd. Truth does that, split the crowd. Look at this, verse 25. So when they did not agree among themselves, they, they departed. After Paul had said one word, here's the word that he said. This is the apostle Paul. Here's what he had to say. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. And then he quotes Isaiah. Evidently, the apostle Paul, who might have been smarter than you, evidently, the apostle Paul, Highly educated. Evidently, the Apostle Paul believed that Isaiah was actually spoken by God. What would happen to you if I could convince you? Oh, I've got in my hands a document. And when you pick it up and you read it, the lips of Jesus are parting and he's communicating the wonder of his truth to you. And that if you have any desire at all, man, to know reality, oh, spoken by God, not an academic study, not a Shakespeare writing, 
an actual up-to-date crosses all generations, goes across all cultural barriers, and actually comes to my life and speaks to me where I am this very moment, the lips of Jesus actually parting, communicating the wonder of his heart and his mind. And this is not about the Bible, man. This is about him. How am I going to get into him? How am I going to be intimate with him? How am I going to devour his person? How am I going to know his heartbeat? How can I get next to him? Spent the afternoon with a young man. Oh, he was hot on football. Oh, did he know football? Oh, football trivia. Man, he knew it all. You couldn't bring up a subject, a question about football. He didn't know the answer to. He knew all the stats, all the history. He knew that he, I think he knew the future. I mean, he knew football. He was really into football. Oh, it just rolled out of him. I mean, you couldn't talk about, oh, I remember. And where we went, and it, football, 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 all afternoon. Football, football. He really knew football. We had this phenomenal service that evening. After the service, he came up to me and he said, you know, wow, I really wish I knew the Bible. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I'd really like to know the Bible. I kind of grinned and said, like you know football? He said, yeah, that'd be great. He said, what do you recommend? What do you recommend for me in learning the Bible? Should I go to Bible college? I said, well, that'd be good. We've got one you could go to. But I said, let me ask you a question. How did you learn all that football stuff? Did you go to football college? <laughs> well, no. Well, how'd you learn all this stuff about football? Well, I don't know. I just like football, man. I just watched this. I saw this. I got this. I got these cards, and I got this. And I talked to this guy, and I don't know. It just kind of, before I know it, I knew football. Do you know that we're the only college in our entire denomination that is the Bible, Bible? You know what kind of a statement that is, man? The Holy Spirit spoke before. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. Holy Spirit spoke before, man. This is the voice of God. And when you come and walk these halls, we're going to jam your nose into this book, son. Hey, we're going to jam you, every question you, every counseling session, every, every advice we give, it's going to be right out of here, man. Every class session, everything we teach, we're going to jam your nose into this book, boy. Hey, this is where it is. This is the answer. Here's where you're going to find it. There isn't anything in this. We're going to be as college of one book because this is our deal. We want to produce pastors that go out of this place and are people of one book. We want pastors who say, hey, my Sunday school is going to jam everybody's nose right into this book. We're going to teach this thing, man, this thing, this thing right here. We're not going to center our eyes on anything else. This is going to be our text. This is going to, every sermon's going to come out of here. Every advice we give is going to come out of here. Every counseling session is going to come right out of here. This is going to be our total deal. Preacher, let's say I buy that. Let's say I buy that. Whole scriptures had to be fulfilled. Holy Spirit spoke before. But even if God did, did speak this, I'm not going to get it. How could I get it? God speaks big words. <laughs> hey, I'm comic book level at best. 
See, I just, I'm not, yeah, not going to get it. So, hey, God comes down on Mount Sinai and belches out laws and we're, oh, and we're scared to death and send Moses up. We can't, we're not going to get it. So even if God did speak this thing, it's not going to relate to me. It's not going to speak to me where I am. See, I live on the streets and the biggest word I speak is four letters. Scriptures had to be fulfilled. Holy Spirit spoke before. By the mouth of David. Who's this David guy? An adulterer and murderer from my streets. Isn't that a plan and a half? And when God wanted to speak, he didn't speak from the clouds, man. When God wanted to speak, he came right down and got my words on my street that apply to my life and said, hey, Now, don't you go out of here and say, oh, he really got on us heavy about the Bible, didn't he? We better start reading the Bible. It's not about the Bible. It's about him. It's about him. Intimacy with him. How am I going to get into his mind? How am I going to get into his heart? Man, I'm going to lay myself on what he has to speak, man. I'm going to listen to his voice. Oh, God, speak to me. And is he not speaking? Yes, he's speaking, man. He's yelling at you. Every page screams at you. You better be glad these altars are here. I'd come down here and hit you upside the head with this. Can I tell you the truth? I'm embarrassed. Because while with my brain I say I believe that, I have not given his word that kind of priority in my life. I know more about the latest television stuff I can quote you lots of quotes from the purpose driven life but not Do you see what a direct slap in his face that is? Because it's saying, God, oh, Jesus, what you have to say isn't, just heal my body, will you? Don't tell me truth. Jesus, don't let me get by with this. 
probe me, go to the depths of my life, embarrass me. Jesus, tonight in this service, I want to bend my whole life. I want to bend my whole thought process. I want to bend every decision I make. I want to bring every bit of my circumstance. I want to bend every bit of my relationships. I want to bend it all under the authority of your word. No argument, no justification, no twisting God. I'm at your feet, man, listening to your voice. Open your word, open your mouth, open your lips and speak to this boy. become the reference point of my life. It's about, wouldn't it be interesting if the answer to the circumstances you're going through, wouldn't it be interesting if the answer to your home, wouldn't it be interesting if the answer to your finance, wouldn't it be interesting if the answer to your dilemma It's all about coming under the authority of the book, which is all about coming under the authority of his lips that are parting. And you have some man, he is Lord, he is Lord, but have not bent under the authority of his word. And how can he be Lord if you don't listen to what he's got to say? our altars open tonight. Would you get out of your seat? Would you kneel here and say, oh God, I'm coming under the authority of your speaking word. Asking for your forgiveness for not giving your voice proper priority in my life. And you're not going to sit there in that seat tonight and act like you have given his word the kind of attention and the kind of authority and the kind of priority in your life it ought to have. Are you? And yes, I'm praying for revival. Yes, I want revival. Yes, I want, but I want a revival of his word because it wouldn't be an emotional outbreak that would stir us for a few weeks. It would be the solidness of truth that would build a foundation that would win our world. And Jesus, I don't care tonight. I don't care tonight. I don't care what it does to me. I don't care what it demands, what changes it demands in my life. I don't care what it does to my theology. I don't care what it does to my personal opinions. I don't care what it does to my rights. I want to come under the authority of your word. Bend under the authority of your lips parting and you speaking to me. And Jesus, could the living word and the written word begin to interact in my life until there'd be such a powerful thrust of your living truth. my world would be affected. Forgive me for not listening to you. 
when you've been yelling at me. Moments of prayer, seeking. In a few moments, our brother will come and lead us.